Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Marxism Podcast. My name is Mark Jarrett, and today I'm going to be talking about medical marijuana and the legalization of recreational cannabis. And uh, I have commented on this in some past episodes, saying that too much smoke is being blown about this. So doing an episode like this, I guess that makes me a bit of a hypocrite. And uh, of course, I could not do this episode alone because I'm not as knowledgeable on this topic. So today I have Nick Patiris here to join me, who is Vice President of Growth for Lift & Co., a media company that focuses on medical marijuana and all the facets of the cannabis industry. So first of all, Nick, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. All right, so I guess just to kick things off, uh, mind telling viewers about uh, Lyft & Co for a little bit? Sure, so we are a media and tech company and essentially our role in the industry is to bridge the informational asymmetry between what a buyer wants to sell about their products and, uh, sorry, what a buyer wants to uh, know about products and what a seller wants to say about their products. Right now, the reason there's a gap between those two is the regulations really won't allow local or sorry, domestic uh, cannabis producers to talk about their products. For example, what um, therapeutic applications they might have or what medical conditions you might be able to treat. So you've got a legal medical cannabis regime wherein a patient can actually legally access cannabis for medical purposes, but they don't necessarily know which products to buy. So our role in the industry is essentially to serve as that educational hub. And that's basically what we do. Okay. So you basically help anybody who has some mental or physical illness and kind of lead them to which direction of what to buy. Uh, How many customers does Lyft have? Uh, customers, I mean, we have users who sign up for our website. Users, okay. We also have customers who come to, for example, our events, our exhibitors and sponsors. Um, so it would be in the, for the, uh, the user standpoint, you know, hundreds of thousands uh, people use our website. And then on the customers, I would say, you know, probably thousands of business partners. Okay. Uh, are there any other customers, uh, sorry, uh, companies out there like you guys? Or are you it's funny. What we really offer is an ecosystem. So you've got the content part of our website where you've got a team of uh, editors and writers who actually cover the industry. There are companies who do just that. Uh, we've got our events, which actually one of which is happening at the end of this month in May. And that is the largest uh, cannabis business conference and expo trade show um, in the country. Um, and then we also have our loyalty and data program. And we're the only ones who do uh, that in the uh, in the country okay so do you direct customers to certain clinics as well or do you just or do you direct them to websites where they can buy cannabis yeah so we do help them sign up with a producer we also help them uh, if they're a little bit higher up the funnel find a clinic with a uh, cannabis positive physician to whom they can talk and get an actual legal prescription okay so the value of the medical marijuana industry, um, there's been a lot of volatility in stock markets and how much mm-hmm. things are worth. And I think it's dropped from like $24 from January to, what is it, 14 now or something like that on average? Uh, which stock would you be referring to? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I just saw one stock that was kind of like that. Yeah. So I guess, uh, I got, no, I think that was actually the average stock value of all, okay. all mar- uh, marijuana okay. companies. So, and a lot of people seem to be buying out of anticipation or excitement from my perspective of looking at it what would you say is the actual worth of medical marijuana i mean that's a that's a broad question i think if you're really asking me about the potential value of the industry i would say it's 
massive. So the CIBC report that was released just a couple of weeks ago cited the industry could be worth about $6 billion just domestically. We're talking about in the dozens of billions internationally. What you really have to understand about cannabis is that you've actually got two different markets unfolding at the same time. The first is the medical market. It's been around for 17 years, and there's going to be a lot of continued growth in there insofar as legal um, recreational cannabis will unlock a lot of funding that will actually help medical. Um, so you'll see that start to penetrate the pharmaceutical um, and traditional healthcare sector and disrupt that those two in a big way. Then you've got the recreational market and that's going to disrupt everything from tobacco to alcohol to lifestyle entertainment. Th those two markets are each going to be probably the biggest generational shift we will see in uh, you know, decades, because what you're really doing is allowing people access to a new type of substance that will impact lifestyle, will impact uh, culture and, and social behavior and social cues um, in a very definitive way. So we're talking about two markets that could be absolutely massive. Right. Do you think that some people might think marijuana is the next dot-com kind of crash thing? Do you think that's a reasonable thing to say? Or no? On the market standpoint, I mean, the dot-com bubble, which definitely crashed in the late 90s, I mean, then came to recover and blow up into what it is today, which is why the tech industry and the, the internet boom is still continuing to um, blossom. So I don't think cannabis, while there will be market corrections like what we saw in January, mm -hmm. I don't think that cannabis is really um, you know, a flash in the pan. The, the long-term potential of the, the plant, both for therapeutic applications, but also for its social and recreational properties, I think it's, it's here to stay. Okay. Uh, so since there are so many marijuana producers out there, some big, some small, do you think it's going to, do you think a lot of the smaller ones are just going to be bought out and you're going to have these massive monopolizing companies, basically, for the most part? We are seeing a flurry of M&A activity, uh, probably that kicked off about a year ago, I'd say, and it's heightened uh, in the last few months. So you've seen, for example, uh, just two weeks ago, uh, Medrelief, which is one of the big five producers in the entire country, um, they announced that they're about to be bought out by Aurora, which is a bigger company than them, but uh, also a huge, basically, conglomerate now at this point. Um, so you're seeing that kind of consolidation happen across the industry. And the reason for that is that it's faster to buy other companies, even though you pay a premium for built-out production capacity, than it is to actually build out that capacity on your own. So, uh, you know, a company like Aurora, which right now is in a very uh, frenzied period of M&A, is just looking to buy and partner with companies who are already established and have established backwards-looking revenues. So I think that that is going to happen. And to that, to to your question about how that impacts small growers, a lot of them will get purchased, uh, bought out, or um, they're going to have to try and figure out uh, what niche they play in the market because there really is going to be by 2021 a massive issue of oversupply. Okay. Uh, I forgot to ask this question. When you uh, for Lyft and Co, uh, do you guys only operate in Canada or the States? We're Canada only. Canada um, only. There's a reason that a lot of uh, Canadian companies do not play in the States, and that because that's because although there are several state-regulated markets, there's 29 on the medical side plus the state of DC, um, and right now, last counts, there are uh, nine uh, recreational markets. Those are state-regulated, and cannabis is still a Schedule One substance under the CSA at the federal level. And so a lot of companies like ourselves are not comfortable with stepping into the US where we would be effectively breaking federal law. Okay, so many people think that once pot is legalized, it might not really deter many people from going to the black market to buy it. 
they're going to still go to their dealers, whatever the case mm-hmm. might be. What do you have to say about that? Do you think legalization of recreational cannabis is going to not have an effect or have an effect on that? I think it's have a huge effect on combating the black market, but it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. So the first thing you have to understand is what's being regulated in year one. The product formats that are being regulated, essentially dried flour and oils, those only make up 30 to 40 percent of the black market now. So your edibles, your concentrates, your tinctures, those are not going to be accessible for legal access um, until year two. So right then and there, we're only legalizing at most 40% of the black market in the first 12 months. The second thing is that, um, especially with regards to price and access, look at Ontario, for example, where they've announced that in year one, they're going to have 40 Ontario cannabis stores, 40 legal outlets to buy cannabis in, let's call it October. By comparison, the LCBO has 650 stores that service mm-hmm. the province. So you're going to have people in... Um, suburban or rural areas who are looking for access to cannabis and they can't find a legal outlet through which to buy it. So I think the black market will continue to um, exist for a while. I think the estimate that I've seen uh, most commonly is that about 35% of the black market will shift over to the regulated market in year one, but it's going to take several years to fully eradicate. Um, So if you look at states like Colorado and Washington, where they've had a legal program for four or five years, Colorado, for instance, um, 25% of its cannabis economy is still black. Okay. Black market. A quarter. A quarter, yeah. So it is still, it's a slow moving effort and it doesn't happen overnight. Wow. Is there anything that worries you about the legalization of marijuana at all, even though it's a relatively, I'm not going to say it's harmless, but it's it's lower on the spectrum of harm compared to other drugs. Is there anything that worries yeah, you about it's, it? Yeah, it's definitely not benign. I think um, if there's anything that worries me, it would be, it would be the case of one person um, overdosing and then having the media jump on that and use that as a case study for why this entire political right. promise was a mistake. And just by to be clear, by overdosing, I mean, um, you know, possibly taking too much and then driving and you know, getting into a car accident or something. I don't think we'll see any fatalities because cannabis actually cannot uh, kill you um, no matter how much you overdo- no matter how much you consume and there's no vital organs that will shut down. So it's actually impossible uh, to yeah. die from a cannabis that uh, you cannot uh, consume enough cannabis to have a fatality. Obviously an overdose is something different where you may be you know, couch locked or severe, like basically paralyzed. Um, but that's you know, different to a fatality. I'm worried that we'll have you know, instances of children getting access um, through the black market still, and then the media will jump on that as a, as a reason why legalization was a mistake. Right. Do you think, you touched on this a little bit beforehand, do you think uh, legalization could potentially hurt medical marijuana industries? It, it, it will initially, and again, I'm looking to states like Washington, Colorado, where Colorado at peak was about 120,000 uh, registered patients and dropped to now to about 85, 80,000. The reason for that is a lot of people just uh, said to themselves, I'm going to access and self-medicate through the recreational channels. Okay. So I do think that by having recreational access, you'll see a, a slow, a slower growth of the medical program at the same time that will then be corrected once medical um, patients actually have their cannabis as a medicine covered by healthcare insurance providers. Okay. So right now that's not common, but it will become more common over time, especially once we have clinical trials. And also, uh, you know, the, generally the product quality is actually of, of a different ilk. Um, so that's, those are two factors that will play a role in, um, in helping medical in the long term. Okay. In Canada, provinces seem to be going to be 
selling pot differently or cannabis medical marijuana well yeah anyway recreational uh so it seems to be done from what i've seen in accordance to how they sell alcohol yeah would you say that's kind of accurate and how do you think that will have an effect on prices on how people use how often they use or yeah it's a great question so that is essentially it the provinces are adopting so what happened what when the, the bill c45 or the cannabis act was actually pushed forward is the federal government said they're going to be doing the licensing they're licensing the producers and the processors the distribution itself is actually up to the provinces and so the, the provinces have essentially adopted whatever they do for their alcohol regime so for example in alberta and manitoba you have a private uh, private only distribution um then in BC, you've got retail that actually is a hybrid model where you've got government-run mm-hmm. stores, but also private retail. Yeah. Um, Quebec and Ontario are both pro- uh, public. So it, that's entirely a, a true statement. The impact there is, I think, so for example, if you think about the, uh, the LCBO and, and what the Ontario cannabis store might result in here is lower access, as I mentioned earlier, because they're not having that many stores. Probably um, less assortment available like let fewer product formats and fewer brands yeah um, because although it's in their interest to have a uh, diversity you probably wouldn't have as many as if you had private retail uh, there's less of a niche uh, available for for smaller players because those those don't exist so there's there, there are potentially big issues there and then the other one is price so you've got the ontario cannabis store which is going to be probably the biggest purchaser of cannabis in the world once we legalize Mm -hmm. and that gives them a huge negotiating power in um, you know establishing what prices they get that is going to have a downwards effect on cost of producing and therefore may impact end product quality that the consumer purchases okay do you think Canada can learn from Colorado or uh, other states that have legalized marijuana or even perhaps Uruguay, as an example, is it is it possible? Hugely, like, yeah, hugely, and the, the the task force on legalization, um, as well as Health Canada and various stakeholders in the government who have been charged with coming up with the regulations and the the laws, actually spent a lot of time talking to Colorado and Washington and Uruguay. Actually, they went and asked them about their lessons learned, what they could have done better, what they right. uh, felt was a success. There's so many lessons. So one, for example, in Colorado, where they essentially let everything go and didn't tightly regulate things, was that they allowed edibles in year one and uh, you had some children who had access to those and there were a couple hospital visits as a result. That's part of the reason that edibles are not part of the the legal regime in the first year in this country, for example. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I guess the reason why I just mentioned that was, uh, I mean, Canada's going to be the first G20 country, I believe, to to legalize it across the board. At the federal level. At the federal level. Correct. And the second in the world behind Uruguay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you think, how much is expected like how much uh, do people expect the pharmaceutical industry to be hit by legalizing cannabis of course people will probably be leaning away from pills and stuff like that mm, it's interesting i think that i don't know how much i expect pharmaceutical this pharmaceutical industry to be hit by the legalization of recreational cannabis we've had a medical program for um, 17 years in this country mm-hmm. that's that has definitely taken a small bite out of the pharmaceutical industry um, currently or up to date. It's going to take an even bigger bite in the future once we have clinical trials against some of the, uh, the strains and the plants. Um, and we can actually then at some point uh, market the individual strains 
or the molecular compounds and say this is this specifically is good for insomnia this is effective in the treatment of let's say epilepsy or multiple sclerosis or whatever it might be um, once we get to that point the industry is the medical side of the industry is going to take off and really disrupt pharma we already know pharma is looking at it um, but there are a few inhibitors for example that a plant cannot be patented in this country and that's why there's no money going into R&D um, and clinical trials for instance so there's a few inhibitors but we'll unlock those eventually and then pharma's going to have to really sit up and pay attention um, I'll give you another data point that uh, in US states where there is a legal medical program there's a 25% lower rate of opioid related fatalities than in US states without medical cannabis programs it's actually the, the number one um, prescription medication a cannabis patient re reduces or removes from their treatment uh, regimen is actually an opioid um, so that's actually one of the th reasons that uh, people in the industry are excited about the potential for medical cannabis. Okay. Do you think Canada is going to be kind of a poster country for how to legalize marijuana and what, uh, and if other countries want to make the same decision, do you think Canada is going to be leading that front in the future? Definitely. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because our medical framework is already considered the gold standard mm -hmm. and has been essentially dragged and dropped into other jurisdictions. So for example, Germany, uh, which legalized medical cannabis on March 1 of 2017, um, looked to Canada very closely for how to set it up. All the other EU jurisdictions that are, have legalized in the last 12 months or are considering legalizing also use Canada as the case study, the prototype, because it, it has been extremely effective. No cannabis has um, leaked into the black market to our knowledge. Um, and so it's just been very tightly controlled, very well managed, and people see it as the, as the uh, like I said, the gold standard. To that end, I expect the government to have taken the same measures on uh, the recreational side, and I do think that that can also be seen as a model for other countries who consider adult use. Okay. Uh, you said 25% decrease in opioid-related deaths in, where was it, Colorado? 25% fewer yeah. opioid-related fatalities yeah. in states with medical programs, medical cannabis programs, versus states without. Okay. So do you think that would have an effect on Canada's opioid crisis, as an example? Absolutely. It's still same domino sort of thing. Absolutely. I mean, so to the extent that we already have, uh, again, we already have a medical program. It's been around for 18 years. And those patients, we know 7 out of 10 medical cannabis patients, legal medical cannabis patients, reduced or removed something, some other prescription drug from their routine when they swapped in cannabis. The number one drug they that they removed most commonly was an opioid. It's already happening. So when we see the medical program eventually balloon, uh, as it will, with the the emergence of clinical trials, then we're going to see that uh, disruption just be comp even more ex uh, accentuated or, or amplified. Okay. All right. Well, I can't think of too many other questions to ask you, to be honest. Is there anything that I missed that you would have liked to have touched upon? Um, or I think one of the th other things people are concerned about is probably you've, I mean, we have to understand why we're doing this in the first place. Right. And the government stated that stated ambition is twofold. One, to reduce youth access. Mm -hmm. We have got one of the highest consumption rates per capita across the board in the country. Actually, right. UN report said we were the second, the second highest country in the world to consume cannabis per capita. Um, and that actually filters down to youth. Um, if you look at the youth rates, they're really high, really? Wor worryingly. 
So that's the first thing the governments uh, wanted to address. The second thing, though, is also just to combat the black market, to, yeah. to ensure that um, if Canadians are going to consume, which they have chosen to, regardless of whether there's a law or not, that the tax revenues go into legitimate businesses and not funneling, uh, funneling towards uh, black market gangs, mafia, and and so on. Uh, so those are the two objectives. That's that's the why. And you know, people have concerns with both of those. The, with the the uh, youth access, people say, well, I'm I'm actually worried that people that children are going to have more access to cannabis post legalization than uh, pre. And that I think that's an interesting thing to unpack because I think if if you look at how e- how much more easy it is to get your hands on weed in this province or country than it is to get your hands on alcohol, where you have to go to a store and there's controls in place, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that's a, a reasonable concern. And again, let's look at those who have tread this trail before us in uh, Colorado and Washington, for example. So in Colorado, youth access uh, or youth rates of usage went from 12% pre-legalization down to 9% post-legalization. Washington, the rates of youth access stayed about the same. So you didn't see more kids using cannabis as a result. So that's that's the first thing on that. On the second piece, which is about combating the black market, and people say, well, I'm worried about the social effects of cannabis and, you know, people uh, getting high all the time and generally society becoming more lazy and lethargic. And to that, that's a that's a funny thing to consider, too, when you consider that alcohol is legal and has been for so long. And Al- is a depressant. And is a depressant. Um, you know, alcohol scientifically kills brain cells. Yeah. Cannabis doesn't. It, yeah. uh, it temporarily freezes them. There's little argument amongst the scientific community that cannabis is much healthier relatively to alcohol. It's not harmless, and we have to be clear about that. Yeah. Um, but relative to something like alcohol, it is, it's it's addiction risk profile. It's a risk for uh, you know uh, um, damage to oneself or harm caused to others around you is so much lower as well. Um, I think if you ever go into like a vape lounge where people are consuming cannabis and compare that to you know a bar or a nightclub, the energy and the ambiance, the, the difference between yeah. the two, it really underscores why cannabis is so much safer. Right. Um, Potential so, violence. Totally. So I, um, I really, I, I think it's a great move for society. I think if anything, it'll hopefully attract people away from consuming products like alcohol, where we know the effects are can be pretty uh, detrimental. Right. I thought of actually just another question, which was, wasn't the liberal government also uh, wanting to legalize marijuana because of reducing, uh, filling up prisons, basically? Like, they don't want to... There has been... In the um, States, is more of an issue. In the States, is more of an issue where there's been an accepted theme that colored people, um, uh, especially colored people, I should say, have been disproportionately charged and criminalized for small uh, possession or charges of you know uh, sales into the medical into non-legal medical uh, patients um, I mean the government ha- well, that wasn't one of the government's two goals though I think that they recognize it's pretty sad to have give people criminal records for something that really is as harmless as you know possession of something like cannabis which is essentially um, a much less harmful drug than something like alcohol so I mean it wasn't one of their stated goals but there's mm-hmm. obviously it's a, that's a byproduct benefit as well okay yeah all right well, I think that's everything that I can uh, think of asking you okay. pretty much. Um, so once again, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So uh, as always, like, share, subscribe to all my episodes. And uh, I can also add Lyft's website into the caption for this episode as well. Sounds no good. worries. And uh, yeah, everyone have a good long weekend. And I am out of here. <laughs>